first reading is Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this and to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At the moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, no, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience before God, toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Thank you, Alec. Well, we're in the middle of a three-part series on the sacraments, and uh, last week Patrick uh, introduced the idea of the sacraments, and his main idea was uh, that the sacraments are... God's grace revealed to us or made, made visible. And this morning we're focusing, as you might have guessed, on the sacrament of baptism. Now, if I was to survey the room uh, and, and ask you to tell me what baptism is, I would get lots of different answers. It's interesting how, as Christians, we have quite a lot of variety of views on, on what's going on in baptism. One of my old um, Bible college lecturers from Ridley, uh, Reese Pezant, he used to say, um, based on your understanding of baptism, I can tell a lot about your understanding of everything in Christianity. 
It's like a little window into your view about how God works and how we relate to God about the nature of salvation. Well, to prepare this sermon this morning, I've, I've done something I've never done before, and it's a bit of a risk, but I think it was a good risk to take because it's proved enjoyable for me. And that is that I gave one of my children, Ezra, who's one of the grade fours who stood up, the opportunity to ask me a whole lot of questions. And I used these questions to, to construct the sermon this morning. Um, and I've gathered them together in kind of a logical order. Uh, so so the, some of the questions that I answer might sound peculiar to you, but actually I think they're quite good questions, very, very good questions. So what we're going to look at is the meaning of the word, baptism, the location and the stuff of baptism, the person being baptised and the person doing the baptism. So the first question, obviously, that Ezra asked, which is a good question, is what does even baptism mean? So let's look, about, look at that. Baptism is the initiation that we have into the church. It is a sign of the salvation that a person has in um, Jesus Christ. It is a mysterious encounter with God that happens through a special ceremony involving water and the words that are said that are about the good news of Jesus and the promises that God has made. When a person is baptised, God pours his grace on that person. So let's, let's dig into this a bit, the meaning of the word baptism. At a basic level, um, baptism is symbolic. Um, from our readings today, you see some of the symbolism. In 1 Peter 3, Peter says that the water in Noah's flood symbolises baptism that now saves you. He says it's the washing of the guilty conscience and the cleansing from sin. So when you see a person being baptised and you see the water, you can see some symbolism there. You can think back to the story of Noah. You can think of this image of a person's sin being physically on them and it being washed away. There's some symbolism there. And the Bible seems to say that by practising the, uh, the baptism and the Lord's Supper, the other sacrament that we'll be looking at next week, in the worshipping life of the church, we're able to better understand these concepts that, and we're better uh, able to understand the teaching of the, the good news, the gospel. It's like it's a form of teaching us the, the message. First, we have preaching as the primary way, and the secondary way we have is the sacraments to continue to teach us with these symbols. But baptism is a lot more than a symbol. In fact, it is also a sacrament. God is doing something spiritual and mysterious in baptism. We get the word sacrament from the Greek word mysterion, which is where we also get the word mystery. And sacrament is a mystery. The Bible never says that baptism is ordinary or natural. It never describes it as merely a symbol of salvation. It's not just a symbol. Paul describes baptism as the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit in Titus 3, verse 5. And that through baptism, believers are united to Christ and die to sin 
That's what he says in Romans 6. At Pentecost, when Peter preached his famous sermon and was asked what was required for salvation, he said, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And in our passage from 1 Peter 3, Peter writes, baptism saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you put all the passages together in the New Testament about baptism, you see that it's actually a lot more than symbolism. It's not just an object lesson. There's something mysterious going on. There's something about the sign of baptism and the thing that it signifies that is spiritually connected and brought together in that moment. In baptism, there is more than meets the eye. There are spiritual realities going on to do with God's free gift of grace that is being applied to the person. So baptism is a, uh, is a sacrament, but it's also covenantal. So in the Old Testament, um, we, we see um, right from the start in, in Genesis, God introducing this special covenant of grace. Despite um, the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, God, by his grace, chooses to come down and, uh, and, and relate to humanity through grace. And throughout the whole Bible, this covenant of grace it continues. And in the Old Testament, there are different ways that the covenant of grace is acted out um, through um, promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, um, the paschal lamb, laws and ordinances delivered by God to the Israelites. And then when Christ comes, this covenant of grace is delivered through the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the Bible makes a very strong link between this, the, the um, practice of circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So New Testament believers undergo the circumcision done by Christ as they are buried with him in baptism. And there's more symbolism there, isn't there? The symbolism of being buried, going into the water and raised again when you come out of the water. But what mattered mostly for the, for the Israelites was not the circumcision of the flesh, but the circumcision of the heart. They had to live as Jews. Paul says it's this difference between being a Jew on the outside and a Jew on the inside. And in the same way for Christians being baptised in water, it's not just like this thing you do and then you get this ticket handed to you that you hand, that you hand to God when you want to enter into heaven and you don't have to do anything after that. No, um, what matters is that you are <coughs> a, a, a Christian, a, a disciple of Jesus on the inside. So faith has to be accompanied with baptism One way we can think about this is um, the visible and the invisible church. Um, the visible church are the people that gather, the people in this room, the people you can see, 
the people that call themselves Christians and belong to the church. But then there's this idea of the invisible church that are all those who are truly united with Christ and saved by faith in his blood. In other words, not everyone in the world who calls himself a Christian is really a Christian. And this is a theme in the, in the New Testament. Um, and what we know from baptism is that it definitely initiates you into the visible church, but um, if you are, for, for you to be initiated into the invisible church and be united with Christ, um, your baptism has to be accompanied by a saving faith. So to summarise all the things I've just said, to answer that first big question, that's kind of the biggest question that's hardest to explain. Um, the next questions are quicker. There is baptism. It's a rite providing an, an encounter with the grace of God. It's an initiation into the membership of the church. It's a symbol of important gospel truths, especially re relating to salvation. It's a sacrament providing a mysterious spiritual connection between the sign and the thing being signified. And it speaks of God's covenantal relationship with his people. And it only leads to salvation when accompanied by saving faith in Jesus Christ. So there's that first question, what does baptism mean? So let's, let's move to um, the location and the stuff of baptism. So Ezra has a whole series of questions about that. First question, do you have to be baptised in a certain place like a church? No, you don't have to be baptised in a certain place um, uh, like a church building. If we remember from Matthew 3... Um, the reading, Jesus' baptism, he got baptised in the Jordan River. So a person could be baptised in the Merry Creek, if they were brave enough, or the Yarra, maybe move up to the Warrandite end. Um, but the important thing is that the baptism occurs in the context of the actual church, the people, the body of Christ, rather than the building of the church. Je Jesus presumably had a crowd watching the crowd of John the Baptist's followers, and later we see the apostles baptising people in groups with people watching, a congregation of worshippers. So the next question, why don't we get baptised in the communion grape juice? Is it because it's too expensive? That was the question. Now, you might think that's a bit of a weird question, but I think it's a profound question. Uh, well, we don't, first of all, get baptised in the communion grape juice because it would be rather sticky. Um, but the question is really about the materials. Like, is... What's special about the liquid? Um, because if in the Lord's Supper we think there's something special about the liquid, why don't we use that same special liquid in the baptism? Good question. The water or the grape juice do not have supernatural powers. They aren't magic like the polyjuice potion in Harry Potter. When consumed, temporarily turns you into another person. No, the power lies in God's grace. And the mystery lies in the mysterious spiritual connections between the sign and the thing that it signifies, the salvation that you have in Christ. So technically, you, could pro you probably shouldn't, sorry, use anything but water, mainly because of the images that go hand in hand with water, the washing, of the cleansing, Noah's flood. There's all, a whole lot of images that um, is used, new birth in the, in the story with Nicodemus. Jesus uses the image of water and the spirit, the new birth. Use water. Um, and uh, you, if you look at the examples in the Bible, only water is used. 
so he has a follow-up question to this. Is the water regular water or special water? Is it better to use natural water like water from a river or the ocean, or can you just use tap water? Again, good follow-up question. You can use tap water, and we do here. We use the tap water from the kitchen, or if you're outside in the big um, blow-up uh, spa, we use the tap the water tap water from the garden. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's fresh water or salty water, for all the reasons I just mentioned. In the baptism service, the minister prays that God would pour out your Holy Spirit in blessing and sanctify this water so that those who are baptized in it may be made one with Christ in his death and resurrection. So it is that you see a prayer happening over the water, but really the prayer is about not turning the water into something magical, but about God's blessing pouring out onto the person. So that's the location and the stuff of baptism. Third, we get up to the person getting baptized. So Ezra says, can somebody be baptized at any age? And the answer is yes. Now, while it's never mentioned in the Bible, it's alluded to um, that children can be baptized. Article 27 of the 39 Articles of the Anglican Faith, which I don't quote very much, but here it is. It says that it's agreeable with the institution of Christ. In other words, it's consistent with Scripture. Um, if you want to look at another confession of faith, the Belgic Confession of the Dutch Reformed Church, they put it this way, we believe our children ought to be baptised and sealed with the sign of the covenant as little children were circumcised in Israel on the basis of the same promise made to our children. Not baptised simply to indicate that the parents are faithful or that they're dedicating their child to God, it's not that. Rather, they're baptised to initiate them into covenant, the covenant with God and to incorporate them into his church. So I ask you this question, if you have um, babies in the room, there's a few, few of you. If you have a baby, I ask you, do you believe your baby is a member of the church? Do you believe your baby is in God's kingdom? Do you believe God's promises apply to your baby? If the answer is yes, then perhaps you might want to consider that they should be baptised. And that entry into the church and those covenantal promises that you believe apply to them could be marked by the sacrament of baptism. The Bible doesn't talk heaps about baptize, the baptism of babies. In fact, I don't think there's no absolute clear example, but there's allusions to it. But it does, yeah, it talks about how whole households being baptised at the same time. And we know from the earliest Christian records, um, from within the, like, I think of decades of the last apostles dying, that they were baptising babies, and that wasn't controversial. But we also know that God told Abraham to become circumcised as a sign of his faith in God, but then he told him to, to circumcise his sons before they had any understanding of faith, because the promises applied to them too. If you think about the image of the crossing of the Red Sea, thousands of Israelite parents, by faith, carried their babies across to the other side, and they were saved from the, um, the wrath of Pharaoh's army. The, the babies had no choice about it. And so Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2 that all of Israel were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, babies as well as adults. If Paul thought, um, using this imagery of the crossing of the Red Sea, that babies should not be baptised, he wouldn't have used this language. 
Another reason why we know that babies can be baptised is that um, Jesus was so clear how important little children were in the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of heaven belongs to little children. From Abraham to Jesus, God is very clear that he's including children in his people. For this reason that then I, my answer to Ezra's question is, yes, they can be, people can be baptised at any age, including as little babies. Next question. Does it matter if you don't have any memories of your baptism because you were a baby? No, it doesn't matter. Our lives are bigger than what we can control and remember. And if we were baptised as babies, then we should be comforted in the knowledge that our parents, by faith, took this step. Next question. Is it possible to be baptised multiple times? Like if someone stopped believing in Jesus after they were baptised and then they started believing again, should they be baptised a second time? Now, the answer to this is no. We, we don't, generally don't re-baptise people because when we do, it makes out the idea that there's a good kind of baptism and a less good kind of baptism, that there are rankings of baptisms and that, as you know, in certain circumstances, it might not have qualified as genuine baptism because, it, I don't know, maybe the person doing the baptising wasn't that good a minister or, uh, or something, or that the person getting baptised didn't have the right kind of level of faith. This is not how baptism works. It sends the wrong message if we baptise second time. Now, if you've been baptised more than once in this room, don't feel shamed. I know that happens and, look, you're not going to... God's not going to judge you for it. But generally, we don't do this because it, it sends the wrong message. The only time you might do it is perhaps if the first baptism really wasn't a baptism... Like, it may have been done as a joke by kids or in secret without any witnesses. You do, you do hear these stories. Like, I had one person from Mary Creek tell me once that, you know, they wanted to be baptised, and I said, have you been baptised before? And they said, well, I had a youth group leader once do it on a camp in secret, you know, in the river, but didn't tell anyone. We didn't tell anyone. And I was like, I think we can do it. We can give you a proper baptism in that sort of circumstance. It is a sad thing when people get baptised and then stop following Jesus. You will know people like this. And if you have a friend or a family member who's in this situation, the key thing to do is to not give up hope with them, to, to love them, to not judge them, and to keep praying for them. And to hold on to stories like the, the story of the prodigal son and to have the attitude like the father who graciously waits, and when the prodigal son returns, lavishes love and grace on them. Not all people who walk away come back. And the reason, the, the way we can explain that is, is that idea of the visible and invis, invisible church concept. Just because a person has gone through the, motion, the motions of the baptism and hung out with the church for a while doesn't mean that they're accompanying that with a saving faith. It's not up for us to judge that. Uh, it's God's, that's God's job. But we're here to love people. And I know that there's quite a few people in Mary Creek who are returned prodigals, who say, you know, as a younger person, I was a Christian, then I stopped being Christian, now I've decided to come back. So, so pray for people. The next question, should a person expect a special experience of God when they are baptised? In some church denominations and traditions, there's a lot of focus put on that. 
that when you're baptized that some sort of special thing happens and that um, tears are flowing and, you know, some, something supernatural might happen in that point. And, um, you know, if you look at Jesus getting baptized, he had a dove land on his head and the heavens opened and God spoke. Um, we're not to necessarily expect that we're going to get the same treatment as the Son of God in our baptism. Um, the, the point of baptism is not to have some kind of special supernatural um, experience. But having said that, you probably will have some kind of an experience. Um, the fact that you are covered in water, that the promises are from God are re uh, recited and that you know, people are praying for you and that you're standing in front of your community, your Christian community, and you're doing this. And the fact that there's something mysterious going on, the mystery of baptism, means that, yes, you're going you're gonna to have something happen to you in your heart. Um, how that turns out, it's, it's different for every person. But don't have wrong expectations about this. Don't do it for that, don't do it for that reason. And don't hold out for your baptism because you're waiting for this time when you're going to have this special thing happen. The next question, is there anything you need to do after baptism? Yes, you need to go on living out your faith in Jesus. We're not to treat baptism as a thing you do once and then you never return to church after that. You never open up your Bible or pray or spend time with other Christians. When Moses was talking to the Israelites about that idea of being genuine Israelites, genuine Jews, he says, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. The New Testament insists that baptism is not just an external sign you have to believe in Jesus. You have to internalise this belief. Turn from your stiff-necked, sinful ways and live out your faith. And for, in the Anglican Church, for those who are baptised as babies, um, if you want, later on, you can get a kind of a booster. <laughs> so you can have a confirmation and we, we, we can arrange for that to have, have that happen here at church. I was confirmed when I was in grade six, but, um, you know... You don't have to be grade six. You can be any age. If you think, yes, I want to affirm the, the baptism my parents did for me when I was a baby. Also, you can just renew your baptismal vows. That's a good thing to do. Some people do that occasionally in front of the church. Okay, we're in the fourth and last area, and that's about the person doing the baptism. The question, do you have to be a special person to baptise someone else because me and Leo baptised Harry? Harry's our dog, by the way. Apparently they baptised him in the creek at Hall's Gap. Do you have to be a special person? Do you have to be a minister? Um, you might, might have noticed in the story of John the Baptist baptising Jesus that John the Baptist didn't want to do it. He, he felt the, immense, the, the seriousness of the occasion, especially because it was Jesus, and he refused initially and Jesus insisted and says, said to him, no, you've got to do it. And the reason why Jesus didn't care about the difference in or John the Baptist, didn't care about what John the Baptist was saying was because Jesus knew that what really matters in baptism is it's not made effective by the person doing the baptism. It's made effective by the promises that God has made and by what God is doing, what the Spirit is doing. 
So for this reason, yes, any Christian technically could, could baptise another person. But as with the Lord's Supper and all forms of worship, the Bible stresses the importance of good order. Paul writes that everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. So if you find yourself in this situation where you're baptising someone, um, you want to make sure it's done according to the Bible. It's a really special thing. You don't want to cheapen it. And there's no, you've got to know that there's no spiritual benefits to baptism, baptism unless it's accompanied by the preaching of the word and the accepting of the gospel. So you want to make sure that this all happens. Um, so I would read out a passage from the Bible. Read one of the passages we just had read out before. There are three good passages you could choose. One of them, you know, you could choose. And then you might want to say something to the person about what it means for them and what it means for Christians. Um, and then you might want to ask the person if they're giving their life to Jesus and if they're promised to ser- live for him and serve him and to be obedient. And then what you do is you baptise them, you pour water on, on their head or you dip them into the water right underneath in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then you can say a prayer for them. But if a church leader can be found and a congregation can be found, it's much better to do it that way. You want to have witnesses. And then here's the last question. It's my favourite question and the question I would never have thought of. How many people can one person baptise in their lifetime? I would never have thought of this question. And the answer is, as many as possible. There's no upper limit. The more, the merry. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Baptism services are my favorite because at the end of the day, that's what we're here for. It's to bring people into the kingdom. It's to apply the saving promises of God to them. So if you're not yet baptised or your children are not yet baptised and you think that either you you, want to get them baptised or you want to get baptised yourself, please see me or Beck and we'll organise for it to happen. And if you want to be a baptizer, then come and see me too because we can start you on that road which is a great privilege. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray for all the people in this room um, that um, whether they're baptised or not, uh, that we can come into, uh, uh, have a saving faith, that we can trust in the promises that you made for us, and that for those who have not yet been baptised, pray that they can step forward and be baptised. We thank you that you have made a whole lot of promises. You've come and reached out to us as human beings on this earth by your covenant of grace. And, um, yeah, we pray that as, as a community at Mary Creek, we'll bring you glory. Amen.